Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am really happy today to be joined by a friend of the show, Mitzi Perdue. Uh, Mitzi, how are you and how are things uh, your side of the pond? Oh, actually, I'm happy as can be to be on with you. I'm in Dallas, Texas. And yeah, isn't technology incredibly fantastic that here we are, old friends, chatting and I'm going to guess it's 5,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the, the beauty of the technology that we have at our hands. Um, now, I mentioned in the intro, you are a friend of the show. But for those who may not have listened to our previous interview, firstly, they should go and check that out after they've listened to this one. But for those that haven't heard it, perhaps give us a little bit of background as to who you are and uh, what you've been up to. Perfect. Well, my background, let's see. My, my real specialty over the years has been family businesses and how to make them endure across the generations. The average family business has only a 30% chance of going on to the next generation. So I talk a lot about that. My family of origin began in 1840, which makes us 180 years old. Mm-hmm. We've been going on that long. And my family by marriage, we're celebrating our 100th anniversary this year. So mm-hmm. that's my specialty. But since you asked me to tell about myself, I'll tell you the rest. My passion is doing whatever I can about human trafficking. There's the United Nations estimates that there's between 40 million and 42 million human slaves today, which is, you know, it's the most awful thing I've ever heard of. And, And we will now transition to what we're going to talk about today. In the course of working on anti human trafficking, I made friends with somebody else who hates human trafficking, and it happens to be a guy who has sold half a billion, and that's with a B, billion books, Mark wow. Victor Hansen. Wow. And you, you are very likely to know him because the, he's the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. And because I mean, we, we became, I would say, well, maybe I'm being presumptuous saying this, but I'm going to say that we've become friends because you know, we frequently talk. I don't think a week goes by without us talking two or three times. And initially it was about human trafficking, but it transitioned into concern of uh, COVID-19. And that's how this book came about. He and I are co-authors of it. Mm-hmm. And the book we're talking about is How to Be Up in Down Times. Those that are watching on YouTube will see um, the cover of the book on their screen. But yeah, to to talk us about how you sort of came to be doing the book and and what it's about. Okay. Uh, In early February, I have have quite a few friends in China. 
And they began telling me, you know, look at some of these videos. And they told me where to look for videos. And you'd see reasons of tens of millions of people being locked down. And I'm thinking, you know, we're not talking a lot about it here. This being actually end of January, early February. And I'm starting to think, because I'm, I'm also a health writer and a science writer, that if it's doing what we see on videos in China, it's going to come here. They can't put up some border wall that would keep it out. And I mentioned that to Mark Victor Hansen, the chicken soup for the soul guy. And Mark said, you know, this is going to be devastating on a scale that, that's not easy to grasp. People are going to need all the help they can to get through it. What can we do? Well, since I'm a health writer and also a science writer, I suggested to him, oh, my goodness, would you believe I've got, I'm not going to take it, but I have a phone call right now from Mark Victor Hansen. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. His ears must okay. be burning. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, and again, the, the absolute complete total wonders of technology. Yeah. Uh, because he's in, he's in Arizona. I'm in Texas, and I get a, a, on my watch like Dick Tracy. I, I get something <laughs> saying that he's calling. But dear Mark can wait yeah. as as we make as we allow his ears to burn. Okay, so uh, the idea kind of grew, but my part in it, I was saying, you know, Mark, you may be the most famous, the most experienced, the most talented, inspirational writer and speaker in the world. What if we combined your knowledge and then my science and health writing background and we put it together into a book? And I further suggested to him, people who are under stress don't have time to read a great big tome. I mean, they're not gonna borrow into a 300 page health book. I mean, some very special people might, but on average, if you're under stress, you can't deal with a great big book of advice. Yeah. What if we had, 40 tips, two pages each. The whole book would be 100 pages. It would be, it would be very inexpensive and accessible. And the tips would be simple ones that can make your life better and help you get through. Well, he loved the idea and agreed to it. And he brought in his stepson, Preston Weeks. Preston Weeks has enormous knowledge and background in physical fitness. So we kind of got it into spiritual, mental, and physical. Uh -huh. And um, I'm delighted with how it's doing. Yeah. And it's really important at the moment, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we're, we're five months really from when, sorry, nine months now from, from when you're talking in terms of when COVID-19 first sort of um, started, the significance of it started to become um, clearer. And whilst we're dealing with a health issue that, um, coronavirus and, and COVID-19 is that's a physical um, element whereas uh, again it's really important for us to be looking after our mental well-being our mental health um, our physical fitness during this time as well and presumably that's where the focus of the book is in, in terms of tips to, to help people look after their mental health. I talk a lot about mental health I also I got into spiritual health a little bit. You know, we, we each had our specialty, but you know, it was one of the most agreeable collaborations I've ever been in because we wrote the whole thing in three weeks. Wow. And then I do want to mention the price. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it would normally be a $20 book. Since our 
100% of our reason for writing it is to share wisdom to help people get through. We, the lowest price that Amazon would accept for a 100-page book, because, you know, they're in it to make it money, uh-huh. was $4.58. Right, okay. <laughs> nice round number. <laughs> <laughs> a nice round number. Uh, so we, we did... we. We, it's up on Amazon for $4.58, and that's the reason for that price is the <laughs> lowest. It, because, I mean, honest, we're, we're not in there to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, although the money that, that comes from my one-third of the royalties is 100% of it's going to fight human trafficking. Wow, okay. Which I'm kind of proud of. Yeah, very much so. Very cool. Very cool. So give, give us a flavor of the kind of things, because obviously we're, we're a family business podcast and you've got extensive history and background in that field. You understand fully the kind of trials and tribulations that can be happening within a family business during times of uncertainty and times of crisis. And what are the sort of things that you're giving us tips to help people who might be in that situation where they're you know, they're in the trenches with their family trying to save their business or they're trying to keep up with you know, increasing demand because they're in a, a, an area that is actually doing really well at the moment rather than, than somebody who's suffering. What, what sort of things can they be doing? All right, I've got a ton of advice. and Just try and stop me because here goes. <laughs> the first one is uh, I have the strongest advice in the world, which is don't discuss politics. And here's why. Because... There's research by a Nobel Prize winning economist. He, he, he's the founder of behavioral economics and won the Nobel Prize for it. His name's Daniel Kahneman. And he, you know, he's, he studies behavioral psychology. And what he states, and I don't think it's widely enough known, is how about you will virtually never convince anybody by arguing with them on, on a deeply held view such as politics. He says, your chances of changing somebody by pointing out facts and statistics and all of that, 0% chance of it working. Because if your identity is tied up with with a particular belief, you will be absolutely amazingly excellent at at discrediting the advice. I mean, you'll think, oh, they're paid off or they're lies or it's fake news Mm -hmm. or one way or another. Uh, you will defend your beliefs. And he gives an example of that, which, which I just love. There, this is a test that's been done over and over again, but it's just, it just reveals so much about human nature. His colleagues, over and over again, take freshmen and they divide them. Say there's 100 freshmen, and I'm not quite sure how they get to this, but 50% of them are deep believers in climate change. are skeptics. Mm -hmm. And then they subject these students to an hour of very experienced people, a panel, let's say it's four people, who are giving the absolute strongest reasons that exist to be a climate change believer or denier. And what happens at the end of this uh, hour of talking? And the students have, at the beginning of the class, they've, they've told, you know, how much they believe or they deny. And they even rate the, the strength of their beliefs. Mm-hmm. And what happens at the end where they've heard the best arguments that anybody can put together? How many change their mind? And just for the heck of it, give a guess. And I really want you to be wrong, but give the guess. What, <laughs> so, percent, what, what percent change their mind? Let's go straight down the middle at 
in fact, not only does nobody change their mind, not one, uh-huh. but they end up uh, believing more strongly whatever they believe to begin with. Oh, and wow, okay. Kahneman explains why. Because your mind, because it wants to defend your beliefs, because your beliefs are who you are and they're your identity, uh-huh. not only are you not going to listen to or absorb the other side, your mind is just going to search out the things that reinforce what you already believe and you discredit all the rest. And in the end, typically, you end up, even though you've heard both sides, you end up more strongly believing your side. Yeah. And the point of this great big long story is there's no point to arguing about, about politics or religion or any deeply held view Uh it's pointless it won't Uh get you anywhere and so one of the tips from how to be up and down times focus on what unites us not what divides us Uh that's the magic secret for moving forward and getting along given that you can't change somebody's mind i mean minds do get changed but they don't get changed by arguments or facts or statistics this doesn't work And I guess at a time of stress, it's probably not the best thing to be looking at in terms of picking up on the the points you disagree on. It's a terrible thing because anything that increases stress is going to, alas, diminish your immune system. Mm -hmm. And uh, you really want your immune system to be as strong as it possibly can be. Mm. And that will bring us to another thing. This is advice that... I'm giving it both as a science writer for most of my adult life. I I wrote the blog for the Academy of Women's Health. I write for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News and a bunch of other outlets. I've I've calculated that I've done 1,800 articles published in my life. Wow. Um, Well, I I love writing. It's my thing. Uh Okay, but here's the advice. And it it comes from a great many scientists, but I'm going to personalize it in the form of my niece. My niece runs a nursing home, and she's very, very up on facts and statistics. And since this is non-controversial, I have no problem giving facts and statistics. She says that stress is a killer beyond what most people imagine. And here's the fact and statistic that she quotes, and that I invite our listeners and viewers to maybe even memorize. And it's an example of how stress kills. Uh If you're taking care of a terminal patient, you're a caregiver, maybe a family member, your odds of dying before the person that you take care of is one third. Wow. And so that's the point of, of how severe stress is and how much you want to mitigate it. Well, Mark Victor Hansen and Preston Weeks and I, we all knew going into this, that you know, if the United States ended up anything like China, that the stress would be you know, among the greatest that the nations, or how about the world, mm. has ever experienced. Yeah. And so what do you do about stress? And you know, we all know the stress, like I'll, I'll share mine, my 94 years old sister got COVID-19. <sighs> I mean, we were, she, she beat it, but wow. we were planning funerals. So, and I'm, I'm going to assume that loads of us have had the experience of either being sick or people that we love, but there's also financial stress. There's emotional stress. There's, I don't know, graduations and weddings and funerals yeah. that I'm wondering how often the world has ever experienced with every country uh, stress on this scale. So what do you do about it? 
because you don't want the killer aspects of stress to get to you. Mm -hmm. You don't want them to diminish your immune system. Well, here's advice. And again, I'm going to personalize it in the form of, of my niece who runs the nursing home. She says a medical necessity right up there with sleep and exercise and food is that you do things in the nature of self-care at least minimum an hour a day that I think I'm going to term it escapism. She'll uh -huh. call it, she'll, she's going to call it self-care, but something where you can get so involved in something that takes your mind off the absolute real horrible, ghastly things that, that we're enduring, like the death of a loved one, uh -huh. uh, when you can't even attend the funeral. I mean, that, there's no words to express the stress that is existing worldwide. So what can you do that can give you respite for at least an hour where the chemicals that are tearing you apart, the stress of uh, chemicals can just dissipate. Mm. And, and what works for one person isn't going to work for another, but I'll give you some examples that, that I've heard of. Uh, and again, these are, yeah, what I, the ones that I mentioned may not work for you, but I know more than one person who just likes to watch old James Bond movies. Because when you're watching, you know, Jaws about to devour a little girl and you're totally into it, you're, you're not thinking of the stress that's tearing you apart. Uh -huh. but, but other things that work for people, uh, playing music. Uh, I have a relative who plays the oboe. Uh -huh. And when he's just so immersed in the beauty of it the the challenge of it you know for an hour a day he's not being eaten alive uh -huh. or for for other people uh, it can just be playing with the grandkids but something where for at least an hour a day you already being eaten alive and how about considering it medically necessary uh, yeah. so that's what that's one of the pieces of advice in the book do something that's complete self-care mm -hmm. and you know I, I don't know what it is for for each individual um i get a lot of respite out by sewing face masks i think i've sewed 400 and, <laughs> wow. oh but but i'm not I'm, I'm not only sewing face masks on my sewing machine i'm also listening to sherlock holmes uh <laughs> youtube has a fabulous amount of sherlock holmes movies yeah and, uh, so, so that's my escape. What's yours? I um, mean, since you, since you seem to be alive and well and kicking, yes. I guess you have something that, that helps you get out of just a downward spiral of worry and concern. You know, can I pay my rent? Am I going to keep my job? Uh -huh. Yeah, so, so for me, I enjoy a walk um, and I listen to audiobooks. So yes. walking whilst listening to an, to an audio book, I do. I read as well, so that's um, a, a good escape. What what we've had throughout lockdown is obviously the, the children haven't been able to go to school. They're going back to school in, in the UK this week. They are, yeah, they're, they're, they're heading back to school yeah. on Thursday this week. So um, for my personal um, situation, I've got two young children, and so it's been a, a bonus, I guess, is the, the fact that we've been forced into to each other's um, company a lot more than perhaps work would have allowed um, initially. But the, the bond and the relationship that's been built as a result of that has been, been fantastic. It's been a lovely escape to go and 
you know, any time throughout the day just to be able to go out and, and spend an hour with, with the kids and then go come back to work and then spend the evening with them and, and do that kind of stuff. Perfect. Impromptu days where we just go and spend some time um, down at the beach or, or whatever we can do. Um, to, Actually, to my guess there. is that of, of all the things that I've been mentioning that, that I know that people do, I'm going to guess that that's the best because not only are you escaping from the the stress hormones but you're you've got all the good hormones that are healing you yeah. yay uh, yeah. okay so, so i, I now vote that you've got the best of all I, I think what what's really important to consider within that as well is that if people are running a business and, and worrying about things from a financial perspective and trying to ensure that the business survives it's um, agony absolutely and it can feel really counterintuitive to think the best thing for me to do right now is go and spend some time doing something else because you kind of you feel like you're neglecting the business for an hour whilst you go and do the the self-care but actually it's the reverse isn't it it's such an important thing to do to, well to then be... i want to share a story that i just heard uh it was from a guy he had a stroke and it was a stroke that the brain bleed was an error in an era that, that was just like i don't know millimeters away from doing him in Wow. He, he, he survived, but it, it just totally changed his life. And he thought, I know that the stress of you know, my 80 hour work week uh, running my business, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what got me in this trouble. And I, because I want to live and I want to see my kids grow up, I'm going to completely re reorient my life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that I have a 25 hour work week. Okay. Okay. okay so that's, Fabulous. Oh, th yeah. this is some non-book advice, but uh, oh, this story is a good one. <clears throat> I hardly know where to go with it <laughs> because there, there's two prongs to it. The first part. So now he is consciously in a very dedicated way. I mean, he sets a timer at the end of five hours. He drops everything, plays with his kids, does cultural things, read books. He told me that he feels that he's more effective in 25 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And he was an 80. Yeah, I can believe And he, he says, you know, coming at things fresh and with your mind kind of exploding and at its best, that he gets more done and he's more effective in 25 hours than an 80. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And I've heard a yeah. saying as well that the, the work will take up as much time as you allow for it. So if you allow yourself, you, I'm working nine to five or I'm doing nine till nine or whatever the work will stretch to to fit that time so if you reduce your designated working time guess what you you can get what you can get done um in eight nine hours in in five i, I can absolutely believe it okay but then i said but you know there are all these i'm, I'm speaking for myself now you know, as i'm talking to him but i'm saying but how do you cut down i mean there are all these irresistible opportunities and people want things from you and mm -hmm. What do you do and he said he has adopted something that again i recommend to absolutely everybody particularly business people but how about everybody in the planet who's over 12. <laughs> he says when there's something that is on offer that's going to take up time he says he has a rule and it's completely binary it's if it's not hell yes then it's hell no. Mm -hmm. I like it. And, and, and that gives him, uh, you know, this, this wonderful, like, I don't know, razor edge that if it's not hell yes, it's hell no. Mm -hmm. And I've actually found that extremely useful because my temptation is, 
we have their hours in the day. I'm going to do it because I actually really enjoy work. I enjoy interaction, but then being frazzled, that's no good. So my motto from now on is it's binary. Either it's hell yes or hell no. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I like it. I think that's, again, a really valuable tip for people to take away because, again, what we're um, finding is because we're working from home a little bit more and and not necessarily going into our workplaces, although particularly in the UK, some of that's returning now, there's still a lot of people who are having to do things from home. The commuting time that we used to have where we – so had some escape and some respite from the day because you're traveling and you're in the car or on the train or whatever. We don't have that. And the temptation is to fill that up with work because, well, it means I can be more productive. I can be more. And so that the demands on our time have increased because people are going, well, yes. I'm not having to do that commute. Therefore, I, I can fill my day with more work, whereas actually it would be better to fill it with the self-care side and the hell yes, hell no motto. Uh, is a great way to do that. Well, I'm so guilty of that myself. I mean, it's it's my nature to be <laughs> overcommitted and and overscheduled, and I'm I'm trying to reform. Yeah. And, and I and so far, I mean, I I had this conversation maybe a week ago, and bit by bit, I'm saying no to things that before I would have just said yes to. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel my mind is how about yeah, you know, just from the stress of being racing to everything and filling up every hour how about every minute of every day Uh i feel i'm in a better place i think as you mentioned earlier we are as a world we are facing a set of circumstances that we as people have not had to face before and so we don't there's no guidebook there's no kind of this is what we should be doing yes there is well (laughs) i'm trying to point to my my book (laughs) <laughs> that way, I'm pointing the wrong way there. That way, but there's there's no precedent that's been set for this is what you this is how you deal with the additional time. This is how you deal with this this stress and t- until people like yourself and Mark Victor Hansen and, and and Preston sit down and go, okay, what is it that we can draw on from our vast experience that will help people deal with this set of circumstances that they haven't had to deal with before, and being kind to ourselves and understanding that we are under stress, even if we don't necessarily feel it all the time, just the nature of what we're it's going there. through, is, it's going to have an impact, isn't it? It's going there's, to be there's a background level of stress and, you know, particularly with adrenaline and cortisol, but there are others. I mean, how about they're just there? Mm. And so you have to make a conscious effort. And, you know, we began this part of the conversation with your saying it's counterintuitive. It's, you know, my business is eating me alive and I'm worrying about, you know, do I have to fire people or whatever it is that you're worrying about and everybody's got their worry. Uh, and you were saying it's counterintuitive to take an hour off. But how about let's turn it into being as intuitive as can be, that yeah. you want to be at your best and you won't be at your best if you're frazzled. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And again, that's where things like, um, mindfulness and time where you're distracted from the the day-to-day stuff is so important and some people get that through running some people get that through as we said listening or playing some some music and whatever that escapism is is such a valuable part of people's day by the way in our time so far there are 40 tips and you and I have talked about two, but I, think, <laughs> but I think the remaining 38 are at least as helpful and life-changing uh-huh. Great. Are there any others that you want to cover? Obviously, we won't be able to cover 
all of them today or, or we could do an audio recording of the book <laughs> do it that way. Uh, but if we can't cover all of them what, what, are, what are some others that you would suggest that um, our listeners um, sort of build into their day because it, it is a stressful environment it, previous crises that we've seen have been different in in some respects to what we're we're facing now but in terms of of the impact that this is having on our health in the sense that it's bringing our health into stark focus it's bringing our mortality into stark focus whereas previous financial crisis for example the focus was kind of a financial one yes it was a crisis and there was stress and there was stuff around but it was a financial issue whereas this is it, there's no like you said there's no borders or barriers for the for this virus it is something that could could impact us all being very mindful of that and the impact of that on our stress is I, again something i think we need to be very aware of as individuals and things well like that is why we wrote the book and i know that uh, you told me how long we're on for and i know we're approaching that yes and there's a story about mark victor hansen that i'm dying to share please it was, it was, yeah please do okay it was something that was a concept that was really pretty new to me and it worked, and it's the following. If you look at the title of the book, How to Be Up and Down Times, uh-huh. Mark called me one day and he said, you know, he, he knows that one of my hobbies is Photoshop. And he said, I want you with Photoshop to write on the top border of how to be up. And it, specifically it will be, you see the words how to be above uh-huh. that. He wanted me to write more than a million copies sold. Uh And I said, Mark, what are you talking about? I mean, I don't want to do false advertising. I mean, the sales have been nice, but they're not a million. (laughs) And and he said, I want you to to write uh, more than a million copies sold. I want you to print out five copies of it and put one in your bedroom, one in the kitchen, one in the bathroom, one in your office, one in the stairwell. And I want you to have on your mind more than a million copies sold. Uh-huh. And he said, you're going to see the power of visualization because it's going to be on your mind. And like the next day, I get an email from somebody I've never heard of in Taiwan who had happened to, to buy a copy of the book. She told me, I've just bought, bought 200 additional books to give to my friends. And I run a chain of some kind of store, I don't recall what, but she said, I'm writing to you now because I want to know if Amazon would give me a break on the price if I ordered a thousand copies. <laughs> and, you know, this is right after I'm visualizing selling yeah. more copies. But I discovered that when you've got something on your mind, like maybe you're in love and you walk down the street and you'll see people who somewhat look like your beloved. But when you're not in love, they're, that you, you never see them, you never notice them. Uh-huh. Uh, that it's sort of the same thing that your mind will pick up things, will will simply make you aware of opportunities, in my case for selling a million books, that Uh never would have come to my mind before, ever. And so this visualization things really works. Fantastic. And again, it it doesn't necessarily have to be related to the sale of books it could be any aspect of your life if it's something that is visualized i don't know fully the psychology behind it that's not my area of expertise by any stretch of the imagination but i I do believe there is some psychology around the visualization side of it it's what athletes do it's what professional musicians and, and actors and actresses do in terms of their visualization of something 
is part of their, it becoming a reality. So, yeah, that's a fantastic story. And um, Well, I'm personally deeply impressed by the power of visualization. I, mm-hmm. I, I'd never experienced it. When, when you visualized it, your mind becomes more open to ideas that are there, but you just wouldn't have picked up on them mm. before. Yeah, that's a great tip. So just, just conscious of time, is there, is there one final tip that you want to pass on to the audience for, you know, how to beat stress or, or how to, as the book says, be up in, in these down times? The whole thing is be very sympathetic and kind to yourself because I don't think there's any way of overstating how serious and omnipresent the problems are. And yeah, when, when there's some little ray of light, like playing with your kids or whatever, embrace it with all your heart and soul because looking for the respite things will keep you alive longer. Mm-hmm. And buy my book. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll provide a link to that in the show notes. So if people want to um, go and grab a copy, they can follow the link um, and do that. We'll, we'll put that up in the show notes. And how can people get hold of you, Mitzi? How, how can they find out a little bit more about um, you and, and what you're up to? Well, if they care about human trafficking, oh, I would love for them to go to my site, winthisfight.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, one way of remembering that title is the initials are WTF. And I think we all know what. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so winthisfight.org. And by the way, those initials are not an accident. Uh-huh. A neuroscientist told me you need a website or you need a name for your organization that's memorable. Right. And that has a call to action. And he came up with win this fight. And he said it has just the divine good luck or not, not even good luck, the, the divine aspect of it. And I'm using the word divine wrong. It has the super fortunate aspect of it uh-huh. that it's memorable. Win this fight. Yeah. WTF.org. Uh-huh. Excellent. And again, we'll put, put a link in the show notes, but um, for now, Mitzi, thank you very much for um, your time and sharing those tips with our audience. Take care and we'll speak to you again soon. I'd love it. I'd love it, love it, love it. I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.